Well, good morning. I'm Aubrey. If I haven't met you, I, I do hope to get to meet you soon, maybe during our coffee and bagel. And um, if you have a Bible, turn to our Old Testament passage, Exodus chapter 7 through 12. This morning is the fifth sermon in a series of sermons where we're going through the book of Exodus this fall. And this morning, we come to one of the strangest stories in all of the Bible. I, I think if you grew up in church and you first learned the story on a flannel board, uh, you might not recognize how weird it is and how striking it is. Um, sometimes familiarity can blind us to some obvious things. But in this story this morning, God hurls 10 plagues at Egypt, and it eventually brings Egypt to her knees. Remember, I've been saying throughout the series, the book of Exodus is about a battle of the gods. So you need to think of each one of these plagues as like a bomb, a missile. This is God assaulting Egypt. Why in the world would God do that? And what does this tell us about God? Well, there's this refrain that comes up all through the plagues. So the plagues are chapter 7 through chapter 12. And over and over, this phrase keeps coming up again and again, where God clearly states why he's doing this super weird thing. Chapter 7, verse 4. God is telling Moses what's about to happen. I'm going to do this, like, assault thing, this weird thing. And he says, quote, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt. All right, that's what he's doing in the plagues. He's laying his hand on Egypt. And bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. So that's also what he's doing. These plagues are acts of judgment. And then look what he says in verse 5. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. All right, this phrase, they will know that I'm God. Chapter 7, verse 17. Right before the first plague, God tells Pharaoh, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. Again, I'm doing this so that you know who I am. And then right before the second plague, in chapter 8, verse 10, God tells Pharaoh, Moses tells Pharaoh that God is going to strike Israel with this plague of frogs. Super weird, um, strange business. We'll talk about that in a minute. Maybe it won't be quite as strange, but I doubt it will make it any less strange. Chapter 8, verse 10, God says, look, I'm going to do this to you, Pharaoh, so that you may know there is no one like me. And that keeps going on and on and on. In fact, it comes up 10 times, which is a symbolic number in the Bible. It means complete. It's a big deal. 10 times this phrase comes up in these chapters of the plagues. And what we see is that God is doing this so that Egypt and Israel and you and me and Canada and Mexico, um, all of South America, Antarctica, Australia, he's doing this so that the whole world will know who he is and what he's like. That's why he's doing this. And he says it over and over and over. I'm doing this so that you will know who I am, so that you will know me. The God Christians worship, he wants to be known. 
He wants to reveal himself. Now, here in 2021, we live in a world, we live in a city. We live in a place where people often ask, is there God? Is there a God? Does God exist? But for most people, for most of time, and for in most places of the world, that is not a question that comes to people's minds. For most of history, in most places, most people have not asked, is there a God? Instead, they've asked, who is God? Of all the gods, which God is the most powerful? They've asked the question, what is that God like? Typically, the issue has not been, is there a God? It's been, which God is truly God? And if you have that mindset, if, if, if you and I were like most people in most cultures, in most times, when we read this story and we hear this refrain, refrain coming up, I want you to know who I am, we'd be like, oh, this is a battle of the gods. And one of these gods, he's putting it all on the line. Now, whether you think that these plagues are a good way for God to go about revealing himself is not the point because you didn't write the book. But it's clearly what the author of the book says that God is doing. Now, when you read through the plagues and you've got that lens, okay, this is about what is this God called Yahweh? What is he like? You'll notice there are three primary characteristics of this God that keep coming up. The three main things this God is showing to Israel and to Egypt about himself. The first one is that he's revealing that he is bigger and stronger and more powerful than all of the gods of the most powerful civilization in that part of the world at the time, ancient Egypt. I mean, so powerful, right? We still have got these amazing pyramids. This, so here is God doing war with the most powerful nations, most powerful gods. And what he's revealing through this is that he's stronger. He's, he's bigger. He's more powerful. Last week, we saw that when Moses told the Israelites the, that the Lord, the God of Israel, would free them from slavery in Egypt, they immediately responded by believing it and worshiping that God. Oh, there's a bigger God. He's going to deliver us. They bow down. They worship him. This is the end of chapter 4. Beginning of chapter 5, Pharaoh says, who is this God? And he punches Israel right in the throat. And he makes them make more bricks without straw. And their response is, oh, we picked the wrong God. And it clearly says they prayed to Pharaoh and asked him for deliverance. So when the Lord comes to rescue his people, he comes to deliver them from Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt by doing battle against them. And he wants the world to know him. And that's what's going on here. He's showing that he's powerful that he's more powerful, that that's one of the things about the God we worship. He's the most powerful. Now, this goes on all over the place, but one of the interesting ways it shows up is Egypt, ancient is Egypt had thousands of gods. Um, some scholars think there, there was about 9,000 gods that, that existed in the Egyptian pantheon of gods. And it's interesting to trace which gods God of Israel is battling. For example, the first plague. This is the one that, that Zelda read for us, chapter 7, verses 14 to 25, where the, the Lord turns the Nile into blood. 
The interesting thing is that Pharaoh at the time, his patron god, like the god he picked was his, like, you know, he wore a banner and all that kind of stuff, was Osiris, the god of the underworld and the dead. And get this, he believed that the Nile was Osiris's bloodstream. So when the Lord turns the Nile into blood, he's saying, I've got supremacy. I am bigger, Pharaoh, than your patron God. But then Pharaoh turns around and his magicians, they do the same thing. They're able to produce the same sign. So Pharaoh's like, nope, nope, you're not bigger than my God. So then there comes a second assault, right? A second plague. And this one is the invasion of the frogs. Very odd, right? And it's interesting because in ancient Egypt, Hecate was the goddess of childbirth, and she was represented as a frog. So the second plague demonstrates God's um, power, the first one, over the underworld and the dead, the second one, over childbirth. He's going right for the jugular. Well, Pharaoh's magicians, they repeat the sign, so Pharaoh's like, you're not so big. I got this. So then the third plague comes up, and it's gnats. And um, from this plague onward, Pharaoh's magicians are not able to reproduce the sign. They're not able to mimic the powerful action. And so again and again, starting at the third plague, going forward, God is doing things that no God in Egypt can replicate. You see the story of the plagues, and this is really the story of the whole Bible. It is about the struggle for who is king in this world. Of all the gods out there, which God is supreme? And God is showing us here that he is a God who is powerful, and he's determined to save humans from slavery, from death, from destruction, and he's going to save them to himself for the sake of the world. And there's this amazing verse in Habakkuk that says the reason God does all of this all over the Bible in the verse says is so that the whole earth may be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God like waters cover the sea. God wants every person, every tribe, every language, every ethnic group, every nation, every community, every family. He wants the entire world to know that the great God, is a powerful God. Now, what can we learn from this about our lives? One way I think for us to think about our own lives in light of this God is that many of us, we go to work and we go to school um, in places where Christianity is not illegal, it's just irrelevant. And it's been swallowed up by naturalism. This idea that there's a scientific explanation for everything. And it's through the supremacy of human knowledge and technology that we fight pandemics and we solve cancer and we take care of all the things that hurt us. Now, I, I don't know of anybody in our church who goes to work in a place where Christianity is forbidden but we do move in circles where Christianity is irrelevant. And each morning, whether you walk in the door into, the, into a school for your day, or you work for some government agency or a business, 
it's very likely that the God of the Bible feels small in comparison to the gods of knowledge and pleasure and power. And what we can learn here in Exodus is that like the ancient Israelites, we live in a foreign land. And we live in a place where there is a cosmic battle going on. But it's not going on with plagues. It's going on in the daily humdrum of our lives. And it's very likely that in these places, we struggle for where we're going to give our ultimate allegiance. We struggle with, is our allegiance going to be with the God of the Bible or the gods of knowledge and pleasure and power? And so if you go to work or you go to school, what if you started beginning your days by declaring God's supremacy, by reminding yourself, just as the plagues demonstrated God's supremacy over these powerful gods in Egypt, what if you you've developed a habit of saying, Lord, you are more powerful than secularism. You are more powerful than scientific naturalism. You are more powerful than technology. You're more powerful than government. You are more powerful. And, and then ask him to show you how to serve him faithfully while living in Egypt. So there are three specific qualities that God shows about himself in these plagues. First of all, he reveals his great power. Second, he reveals his mercy. The plagues reveal the mercy of God. For example, it's because of God's mercy that he strikes Egypt with 10 plagues and not just one nuclear bomb at the start. What's he doing in plague one to nine before he hits the atomic button? He's giving Egypt a chance. He's waiting. He's starting small. And it gets bigger and bigger and more powerful and more painful. Why is he doing that? Because he's merciful. He's not just like rolling up on the scene and saying, kablam. The first plague is scary. The Nile turns to blood. But that's not overwhelming. The fish die, and that's terrible. But the people can still dig drinking water from the ground. It's clear. It's a nuisance. It's not a nuclear bomb on them. Now, Pharaoh's not impressed with that first plague. And after that first plague in chapter 7, verse 23, it's clear. Pharaoh just turns around and goes back to his house. He's not phased. His magicians can do the same thing. And because of God's mercy, God turns the dial just a tick. And the next plague, the second plague, frogs, gross, disgusting, like, Squishy, I guess. I mean, but not nuclear option, right? And then when Pharaoh refuses to let God's people go, he sends a third plague, then a fourth plague, all the way until the tenth and final plague. You see, God is not a hothead. Not with you and not with the Pharaohs of the world. 
He's not just exploding with destructive wrath. God is patient and God is merciful. Over and over, he gives Pharaoh a chance. And even though God is fully aware that Pharaoh's never going to give in, he keeps giving him chances. By the time we get to the seventh plague, it's interesting. In chapter 9, verse 27, Pharaoh says, this time I've sinned. The Lord is in the right. I and my people are in the wrong. And he begs Moses, will you ask God to stop and and I'll let the people go. And so Moses asks God to stop and God stops. And then Pharaoh says, nope, jump. Had my fingers crossed or whatever. During the eighth plague, it happens again. Chapter 10, verse 16, Pharaoh calls for Moses and he says, I've sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin. Please, only this once and plead with the Lord your God to remove this death from me. So Moses does and God stops. And Pharaoh again changes his mind. Isn't God amazing? Because aren't you just like that? I mean, how many times have you confessed the same sin? I mean, let's just, Keith, for example. No, I'm joking. <laughs> no. <laughs> Who, but, but, but I mean, we're joking about Keith, but right, remember Pharaoh is a genocidal dictator, right? He, he systematically engineered genocide. This is Bashir. This ranks up there, Right? with the big bad ones. So when you think of your sins, can you see space in the wideness of God's mercy? Who would have had such patient mercy with such a wicked scoundrel? Would you? Would you have been that merciful with Pharaoh? Are you that merciful with your enemies? This is the God we worship, right? This God is so powerful and he's so merciful. It's amazing to think God is not only the savior of slaves. He's willing to be the savior of slave owners. This is mercy. Whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you've done, God is merciful. Cry out to him for mercy. So in the plagues, we see three primary characteristics of God revealed here. And by the way, this characteristic of God hasn't been revealed prior to this moment. This is God going on record with his deep mercy, this thing we all take for granted, who've grown up hearing about Christianity and the Christian God. This is where he really puts it on the record. There have been glimpses of it before, but here it's like in spades. The power of God, the mercy of God. The third thing we see about God in in the plagues is the justice of God. Yes, God is abounding in mercy. And it's because of his mercy that he will ultimately act to defend Israel from Pharaoh's army. God, in his mercy to Israel, will not allow Israel to be abused forever. So we see this in in a number of ways. We see the justice of God in a number of ways. Let me point out just a couple of them that might be provocative because that's what I like to do sometimes. One of the ways that God's justice is put on the line is that God requires reparations 
for slaves. Israel plundered Egypt and it was reparations because that's what God always requires of nations who practice slavery, no matter how that jives with free market capitalism. That's an act of justice. Look how it plays out. There's this moment early in the story where Pharaoh's like, okay, I'll let you go, but I'm only going to let the men go. The women and children have to stay behind. And God's like, nope, that's not fair. You're going to give the women and children up too. Then Pharaoh, another time he agrees to let them go. He's like, okay, the men, the women and children, you can all go, but the livestock stays. And God's like, no, that's not fair. You owe them. You extracted labor without wages. They're not going to leave without reparations. And finally, it's in the 10th plague where the Israelites asked their neighbors for their jewelry and their clothing. And in chapter 11, verse 3, the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians and they plundered the Egyptians, not as a way of sticking it to them, but as a means of godly reparations for the slave labor they had extracted. Reparations are an act of justice. Another example of God's justice is this business of the 10th plague being the death of the firstborn. There's this interesting verse back in chapter 4. If you have a Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 4 and look at verse 22. Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn, my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, I will kill your firstborn. Do you see what that is? That's lex talionis. This is the law of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's justice. It's not too big a punishment and it's not too little of a punishment. It's the right punishment. God in his justice is reclaiming Israel in exchange for the firstborn of Pharaoh. God in his mercy on Israel will not allow Pharaoh to continue to enslave and murder the people of Israel. God is cleansing the land of this tyrant so that everyone will know the real God, he's not like Pharaoh. He's not a God that's self-interested and he's a God of life. He's a God of goodness. He's a God of mercy. He's not sort of powerful. Wants you to think he's all powerful, but not really. No, he is actually all powerful and he is a God of justice. Listen to chapter 12, verse 12. I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. I'm the judge. And I'm going to judge all these false gods for the way they are so bad to people. You see, when all was said and done, this was about justice. Justice is served. The Israelites are vindicated. The land was at least partially cleansed of Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt. And it's a remarkable thing to know that the great God, the one and only true God who created all things will ultimately bring justice. And, and if you've ever experienced injustice, 
That's awesome. Right? If, if your family fails to secure justice for you, that's not the end of it. If your workplace fails to secure justice, that's not the end of it. Right? As Christians, we believe in justice, and we also don't have to break the rules to get justice because ultimately justice will occur. It's a remarkable thing to know that the great God, the one and only true God who created all things, loves us, has mercy for us, delivers us, and part of his deliverance will be judgment on every injustice done to us. That's why Christians can beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. This is how the meek will inherit the earth. You know how the meek inherit the earth? By God judging the unmeek, those who secured power and prestige and advantage and, and all of these things with being injustice. Now, but we need to flip this around. Right? Because the good the chances are we're not like purely victims in this room, right? Not only should we find great comfort in God's power to execute justice when we've been mistreated, we need also to hear this as a warning. See, the danger is that you always side with the virtuous ones in the story. But there's a lot of little pharaohs in a lot of us. We need to hear the warning because we're like Pharaoh and we resist God. God is merciful, but we can be hard-hearted. And just like Pharaoh, the more hard-hearted we become, the less able we are to hear God. God's mercy lasts a long time, but it is not infinite. Pharaoh resisted God over and over until it was too late. Don't resist the Lord. If you've made it this far, resisting him. And his mercy has covered your bet. Quit it. You're playing a dangerous game. Don't resist the Lord. Don't ever resist him because it will only lead to more difficulty and more pain. Soften your heart. Don't be Pharaoh. Turn to the Lord. Now, look, in the plagues, we see that God is powerful, that this God of the Bible, the God that we Christians worship, he is the most powerful God. Nothing compares to him. Nothing. He's the most merciful God, and he's the most just God. In the plagues, we see who God is and what he's like. The Bible teaches us that Jesus shows us best who God is and what he's like. And let's just finish by reflecting real quickly on the power of God, the mercy of God, and the justice of God in Jesus as we prepare to come to the table, let's, let's look through the plagues 
Let's look through them and how, what does it show us? Think about Jesus and the power of God. Think about Colossians chapter one, verse 16, where it tells us that through Jesus, all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. Jesus shows us the best picture of the incredible supremacy of God. And what about the mercy of God shining through Jesus? Can you think of a story? Can you think of one of the places where Jesus, it's just all of this amazing mercy coming through him. What about Ephesians chapter two, verse four, where it says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And, and what about when we think about the justice of God in Jesus? My, my heart and my mind immediately go to Revelation chapter 21, where we're told that Jesus, when all is said and done, when all the kingdoms of this world when, are turned to dust and rubble, and the only thing that remains is Christ and the new creation, it says that Jesus will do what? Wipe every tear from our eyes and death will be no more. And neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain for the former things have passed away. That's an act of judgment and justice. The world tells us in countless ways that if God does exist, he can't be known. Baloney. He can be. The true God who created all things has revealed himself. There's not a big question mark. There's not some big unknown here. Jesus came into the world to reveal God to us and he pours out his spirit on all those who believe in him so that we might know and experience God more and more and then be sent out as his ambassadors for the sake of the world. Don't harden your heart against him. You're playing with fire. Instead, turn to him. Know him in Jesus. Know him and be known by him. Love him and be loved by him. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. What a great God. Let's pray.